I just need about 250 people with a testimony uh, that he did it uh, to open up your mouth uh, and give God uh, a shout of praise in this place. Come on, he did it. Uh, he did it. Uh, shout, he did it. Uh, shout, he did it. Uh, there was one man in the Bible that I could not see. The Bible says that he was born blind. But one day, Jesus touched him and made him see. And when they came to ask him what had happened to him, they said, what happened to you? He said, I can't tell you all the details. I'm not sure what the plan was. All I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. In other words, I don't know what to tell you except he did it. I just need somebody with a testimony to take about 60 seconds and give God a praise because he did it. Somebody give him a he did it praise. Somebody shout because he did it. Somebody shout because he did it. one thing to shout after he did it it's easy to shout looking back at what God did and I think we ought to do it the Bible said to praise him according to his excellent greatness but there's another level of blessing that comes to a prophetic worshiper you see a prophetic worshiper stands in a place uh, where they're still sick uh, and they still have a need uh, and they haven't seen it come to pass yet uh, and they don't have any answers uh, but they know uh, that they know uh, that they know uh, that they serve a God uh, that's gonna come through uh, they serve a God uh, that's gonna make a way uh, and so you're not waiting for it to happen uh, you're gonna shout right now uh, that he did it. I'll praise you now. You can do it later. Somebody give him a prophetic praise. Somebody praise him in the midst of your struggle. Somebody praise him. He did it. 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 Gonna make a way. He did it. He did it. He did it. He did 
gotta give him praise. I've got too much on the line. I've got too many things that I'm believing God for. You can sit down if you want to, but I've got to testify. I dare you to shout now. I dare you to stand right now. Somebody came ready to touch the hem of his garment. Somebody came ready for a miracle. Somebody came ready for God to do something in your... You might as well not play with it. If you're going to get a breakthrough, you might as well go ahead and push your way into his presence. You might as well push your way. one more time come on give him your best praise give him your loudest shout give him your best hand clap yeah let the redeemed of the Lord say so push your neighbor tell him neighbor tell him neighbor Tell him he did it. And if he did it for me, he wants to do it for you. Clap your hands one more time if you believe that in this building today.
Ah, he can do it. He can do it. I got some ex-drug addicts in the building that can testify that he can do it. I can't get a witness in the building. I said, uh, I've got some ex-strippers in the building uh, that can testify he He can do it. He can do it. He can pick you up and turn you around. He can clean you up and put you back together again. There's nothing impossible for God. I don't care how far you've been. I don't care what you've done. You're in the presence of a God today that specializes in broken things. Hey, he did it. He did it. Clap your hands one more time in the building and give him praise. Is anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You can be seated for just a few moments. Woo! It's highly flammable in this place this morning. Hey Amen. Turn around, tell your neighbor, warning, warning. Warning, combustible atmosphere. Don't light a match right now because we're liable to go up in smoke. Come on, don't clap your hands too hard. You're liable to blow the building up right now. Don't stop your feet too much. You're liable to set off an earthquake in the building. Don't shout too loud in the building right now. You're liable to cause a wall to come tumbling down in the place. Hey! Y'all acting crazy. Y'all acting crazy. You're going to mess up that cute suit you wore to church if you don't behave yourself. You're going to wrinkle that pretty dress you wore this morning if you don't behave yourself. You're about to mess up that good hairdo that you worked on if you don't be careful. You're going to mess up them cute I wish you would kick those shoes off uh, and give him a praise. Uh, I wish you. building right now you can have what you need right now you can get what you came for right now you can receive what you need right 
I'm going to skip all the preliminaries this morning. We're excited to have the evangelist, Jacob Phillips, in the building with us. I want you to remain in this posture of worship as he comes to deliver what God has given him this morning. Lift your voice and give God a praise in this house as he comes. Come on, is there anybody here right now that's got the victory? You don't have to wait till you get it to act like it. Now let me ask you again. Is there anybody here that's got the victory? Come on, victorious people are loud. Victorious people are free. Victorious people can't be held back by what they're going through. But victorious people got a reason to praise him on a Sunday morning. Victorious people got a reason to shout. Hey. Hey, Amen. Clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. It feels good in this house. It feels like somebody could get delivered in this house. Hey. Just want to tell you that if you've never been to an apostolic church and you see all this, and y'all are weird. I'm just going to tell you, y'all are weird. Come into this church, sound like they're going to sacrifice a goat or something. Prayer meeting was going on, people talking in an unknown language. Lights are down low. So what is all this? It ain't nothing but the power of the Holy Ghost. Say, so, well, what is that? Well, I'll tell you, it'll make you walk right. It'll help you get victory over whatever it is that's been holding you back. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, let me just tell you, you're a prime candidate for your life to be ever changed on a Sunday morning at the Rock Church. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you see all these people jumping. They didn't just win the Powerball, baby. They got the power of the Holy Ghost living down on the inside. That's what makes us jump and shout and dance. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, look at somebody and tell them we're just getting started. Oh, you didn't say it like you meant it. Look at somebody and tell them you're just getting started. Amen, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. While you're turning there, I want to take just a moment to say that I am so honored to be here. I give honor to Pastor and First Lady Williams, who are my friends and fellow soldiers in the fight. And I love him and I appreciate him and honor him and her because no good man's any good without his wife right behind him. Amen. I do have an assignment today, and there's no doubt that we could have just pushed the big red button right now. We could have blew this thing up. We could have danced and shouted. But look at somebody and tell them God came for the one today. And so I recognize that I'm not going to be preaching to everyone. I recognize that today may not be a service that you leave and feel like 
well, that preacher read my mail. But there may be somebody here today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are all so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2 simply reads, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Just want to take the first few words of verse 2 and use that today as our thought subject. With your help and the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you for just a few moments again, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. When you got your eyes set on Jesus this morning. Would you help me pray right now? Set your Bibles to the side and lift your hands and let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor. There's nobody like you in heaven or on earth. God, you're the first, you're the last, and you are the everlasting. You're the one who was, who is, and is to come, the Almighty. God, I pray right now that your spirit would touch us, change us, challenge us, help us, God, to get to the next level. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Come on, would you lift your voice one more time and just give God some praise. Come on, give him some praise from your heart. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for giving me hope and a future. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. If you have any faith at all connected to Christianity, you've heard about this man named Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer of the world. He's the one that cared for you when nobody else cared about you. He's the one that saw you when nobody else wanted to look at you. He's a God that cares not only about his people, but about everybody. And, and so in, in transition from a world of sin to a world to where we live for him with our whole heart, a lot of times it's hard for us to get into a relationship with him simply because society has convinced us that we are nothing and nobody. And of a truth, society is correct because without him, I am nothing. Without him, I am nobody. Without Jesus, you wouldn't want to see me without Jesus. Come on, somebody knows what I'm talking about right now. Without Jesus, you wouldn't want to know me because he's the one that makes all the difference in me. I'm not a good person without Jesus. I, I, I can't fit in with the world without Jesus. We know that Jesus was born of a lowly manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes, given gifts by the wise man. He grew up blamelessly and was tempted as we are tempted. And the Bible says, yet without sin. And while he was hanging on an old rugged cross, he did not think of himself, but he was thinking of me. And I, I'm going to lose some of you right here, but just hang on and let me finish when I tell you that Jesus Christ, when he died, did not die for the sins of the world. Rather, he died for the sins of individuals. 
he did not die just to cover everything all at one time. But when he died, he was thinking about someone in 2022 that would come to church at the Rock Church and, and lift their hands for the first time and repent of their sins. Can I tell you today, he didn't just die for us all together. He died for you as an individual. He was thinking about you. He was looking down the road at you. And I'm here to tell you today uh, that he was bringing you to this moment. Uh, everything that happened was bringing you to this day. Hey, man, if you've spent any time around the apostolic church, you've heard it today, you would hear that Jesus Christ is a miracle worker. You would hear that Jesus Christ is the one that can heal your body from any disease. It doesn't matter if it's cancer. It doesn't matter if it's diabetes. It doesn't matter what the sickness is. If you're blind, if you're deaf or you're dumb or there's something that we can't see. If you came in here in a wheelchair, I'm here to tell you today that God can heal your body because that's just what he does. And the list can go on and on. We can preach about how God is a provider. He's a God that can make a way out of no way. And we can, we can list the many attributes of God. And we can take a lot of time talking about the goodness of Jesus. But there's a rather technical side to God that just in recent years that I've begun to notice more uh, than I ever had before. And in this, uh, I begin to look at the penmanship of God. 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses, 783,137 words and not one contradiction. I'm going to tell you what, that guy knows what he's doing because I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday. Not, not only that, but over 2,000 years he wrote this book. Can I take my time today? He, he, he wrote this book over a 2,000-year span and used 35 approximately different men with 35 different abilities and 35 different ideas of how things should do. But the Bible yet says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so God used what they were going through or what they were going to go through in order to construct what we have today when we call it the Holy Bible, the Word of God. God manifest in the Word. The penmanship of God is unique to me because it's in this that he used men to tell stories that they weren't even there to see. When we go to the book of Genesis, we begin to read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God hides Moses in a rock and he begins, I don't know if it was in vision form or if he begins to hear him, but he begins to write down the words of God as God begins to speak and show him in the beginning. He goes through creation and then he launches into all what we get into Sunday school, into the Bible stories. He begins to tell us of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and these guys are unique to me because they don't get to tell their own story. You think about it for a second, all of these men that I have named today, not a one of them wrote it down themselves. Noah, he didn't get to write it down. Joseph, he didn't write his story down. But it's Moses that's writing the story. And, and if we dig a little bit farther, there is a woman here that I would like to extract from this group of people today that does not get to read or write her own story, rather. And, and she is a woman that comes from a 
from an angle in the book of Genesis that kind of makes her look a little spoiled. When you think of this woman, her name is Rachel. She is loved by her husband. The Bible says that when, now I, I want you to think about this for a second. If this is a Bible story. I know we're going to take a little time right here. But this Jacob runs away from his brother that's trying to kill him. That's bad. Goes to his uncle's house. Falls in love with his first cousin. Ooh, that just took a turn, didn't it? Messes up and doesn't get married to his first. Look, I'm from Tennessee and we never did that. You don't need a soap opera, just read the Bible. Falls in love with his first cousin, gets double-crossed by his uncle, marries his other first cousin, who he thinks is ugly. Works for his uncle for another seven years, finally gets the girl he wants, and the Bible says that her womb is barren. And it's worse than her womb is barren. The Bible says that the Lord shut up her womb. And so we begin to read about this woman, Rachel, and when you begin to talk about her from Moses' point of view, and as Moses is receiving the story from God, Moses begins to write it down, and you read stories where she goes to her husband Jacob and says, give me children lest I die. And Jacob looks at her and says, hey, girl, do I look like God to you? I, I'm not God. How, how can I give you children? There ain't nothing wrong with me. It, it, something's wrong in your spirit. We see, yeah, ooh, don't talk to your wife like that. Jacob was a brave, brave man. Who do you think I am? Am I God? He continues to live this life and he sees Rachel who he loves and he understands that she can't have children, but yet Jacob can't see the pain on the inside of this woman. Jacob can't see the fact that there is a God-given drive on the inside of this woman to have children. And so he looks at her as a bitter and angry woman that's mad at God because now she's taking it out on the Lord. And when it's time to leave, she takes idols because if God won't give me what I want, maybe I can turn to the gods of my father. And so when you read from this perspective in Genesis again, Rachel is a spalled brat. Rachel is bitter. Rachel is angry. Rachel is upset. Rachel is always looking for love in the wrong places. Rachel is trying to find fulfillment in children, but yet she can find no fulfillment because the Lord did this to me. God messed me up. I got dealt a bad hand, and God, it's all your fault. Lord, why am I barren? God, why am I hurting? God, why am I going through this struggle? God, why am I going through this test? God, why? Anybody ever ask that question? But can I tell you that it's important to understand 
that God orchestrates all things and God knows all things. And when you see how God has closed her womb and you see how she has wept bitterly, you see how she's hurting on the inside, all from Moses' point of view. But the truth of the matter is Jacob nor Moses can see the pain. Jacob nor Moses can see the tears. Jacob nor Moses can see the fact that she's laying awake at night. And so God, why would God bless anybody with the attitude of Rachel? Why would God want to touch anybody that's bitter and angry at God? But what Rachel did not realize is that one day somebody else was going to pick up the pen and begin to write. And we read in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15, thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and lamentation. Jeremiah, whom we have dubbed the weeping prophet. Moses doesn't understand tears, but, but Jeremiah understands tears. And Jeremiah says when he picks up the pen, he said, I heard a voice in Ramah, weeping and lamentation. It was Rachel, and she was weeping for her children, for they were not. And it's here that the rest of the story begins to be told. From one point of view, she is bitter and she is angry. But from the other point of view, she is hurt and she is wounded. And I said all of that to say today, it matters who's holding your pen. Say, preacher, I don't get why society has looked down their nose at me. It's because society doesn't get you. And society doesn't see what you've been through. And society don't know the pain that's on the inside of your heart. I've come to reach for the one today. I've come to reach for a Rachel that come to church on a Sunday morning. And the world has tried to convince you that you're no good because you're barren in your spirit. But can I tell you, it matters who's writing your story. If you let society write your story, you'll never get ahead. And you'll always be falling behind. But I've come to tell somebody on a Sunday morning that if you come to an altar and lay the pen down and look unto Jesus, stop looking at the government. The government can't fix you. Stop looking at the doctor. The doctor don't have enough degrees. Your problem is not your upraising. Your problem is who you're looking at. This world would love to convince us that if you look into them long enough, eventually you'll find something that'll fill you. And so you can try drugs, and when that doesn't work, you can find relationships, and when that doesn't work, you can try alcohol, and when that doesn't work, you can try medication, and when that doesn't work, you can get on some kind of a government program, and all the while, somebody's sitting down, and they're writing your story as an addict. They're writing your story as a reject. They're, they're looking at you, and they're writing your story down that you're a failure, but I've come to tell somebody today, you're not a failure. You're not a reject. You're not a mess. You're just an opportunity. All you got to do is look unto Jesus. 
I know you didn't come to church, to the Rock Church. Please forgive me, Rock Church, if I poorly represent you. But I know you didn't come to the Rock Church today to be told about all that's wrong with you. We're not here to focus with what's wrong with you. But the truth of the matter is, is when men look at you and you've jumped from relationship to relationship. Come on, sister, I'm talking to you right now. And when society looks at you and says she's a harlot, the Lord looks at you and sees the little girl that was molested when you were seven years old and now you're looking for something to fill the void with somebody touched you wrong somebody done you wrong and now because of what somebody else has done you've been living your life looking for love in all the wrong places we're not here to judge you I don't care if you're like the woman at the well you've been married five times and the one you got now is not your own I've come to tell you on a Sunday morning if you'll release the pen you'll find joy You'll find peace. You'll find fulfillment in a relationship with Jesus. They don't know me. Why they get to tell myself? Think of how bad Rachel could have felt if she'd have been sitting there, Pastor Williams. When Moses begins to write the story, what what would have happened in her world? She's bitter. And all the while, he's supposed to be a preacher. Oh, I'm getting somebody's corn patch now. That church was supposed to help me. All they did was talk about me behind my back. That church was supposed to to, to, to get me to the place where I could find fulfillment. And all they did was use me as a poster child for their women's home or their man's home. And all the while, they never really helped my spirit because the truth of the matter is, is it doesn't matter if it's the rock church or the biggest church in America. You can't find fulfillment in a church. You gotta get in a relationship with the God of the church. That's why when you come in the door and you see the ushers, you know which way they're pointing? They're pointing you towards the altar because they know it's not about the rock church. It's about the God of the rock church. And you don't know, but there could be an usher that's been through what you've been through, baby. And the reason everybody's facing forward is they're pointing you. You want to know why we come to the front of the church during worship service? Because we're trying to lead you. It ain't us. It ain't our program. It ain't our songs. It's the God of our songs. It's the God we worship. It's the God we live for. I can't fix you, but my God can fix you. I can't put you back together again, but my God can put you back together again. Most of the time, when we get our eyes off Jesus, we start looking at everything around us, and then no wonder we spiral out of control. You can ask men like Abraham, what happens when you stop looking at God and you start looking at yourself? You take the pen out, because let's just be honest, our first reaction is when people say stuff about us that ain't right, and they don't know the full story, our first reaction is to say, give me that. Let me tell it. Let me write my story down. You see, but Abraham, 
if you get the pen in your hand, you end up with an Ishmael that creates the people of God as an enemy. And if you try to write the story yourself, it's all in good intention, but the whole time you're writing, you're not looking at the Lord. You're looking at yourself. And as long as you're looking at yourself, you'll continue to try to make yourself look better, to try to keep yourself from looking bad to society. And the whole time you're creating enemies out of the church. Then the preacher says, I could help you, but no. You end up with an Ishmael again. He becomes, even to this day, a nation that tries to divide the people of God. Can I tell you something today? And I'm not trying to be mean to you. I wouldn't hurt you for anything in the world. But you're not strong enough to write your own story. Let me tell you something. You can't keep your emotions in check to keep the chapter straight. You're not smart enough. I'm going to tell you, you might, I don't care if you got 19 PhDs, you're not smart enough to write your own story because as long as you're trying to write it, you continue to look at yourself. But I'm not calling you today to look at yourself. I'm calling you to look at the cross because the only place where you're going to find help is at the cross. You're not going to find it in yourself. I wish I could tell you I've done everything right. I wish I could tell you I was smart enough and I was strong enough. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter. I've been raised in church. It's all I've ever known. And I've still made mistakes that are so bad that if you could see all of my mistakes right now, most of you would walk out the door. I'm telling you, I've been raised in church and I still can't write my own story. That lets me know church don't fix it. Relationship with the God of the church. and angry. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for somebody right now. Say, preacher, I come to hear a pretty word. I, I'm, maybe you can come back tonight and I'll preach pretty. I'm not here to preach pretty to you right now. I'm trying to pull you out of the pit of sin that you're living in and let you know there is hope. I'm almost not caught. There is hope. I said, there is hope. Rachel, Comes into church. Wounded. People are talking about me. And the Lord has shut up her womb. The Lord. I'm I'm just a mess with your theology right now. God let this happen to Rachel. God, if you really love me, you wouldn't let me hurt like this. If you really died for me, you wouldn't let me deal with the pain I'm having to deal with right now. You wouldn't let my family be slipping through my fingers if you cared, God. You you, you wouldn't let me cry myself to sleep every night. Deal with the depression if you cared. Yeah, keep on writing the story. Because God knows when you're able to have children and when you're not, when you can handle the children. 
Because Rachel, it won't always be like this. There will be a day that I will, I will open your womb and you will have children. But I know when you can handle that. And if I allow you to get there too soon, you'll look at all the stuff that you've got and you'll walk it back out the door and say, I found it. I finally arrived. So Rachel, I'll allow you to live in this bitter situation. I'll let you stay here for a little while because I want to bring you to the point when you finally get to the altar and you finally lay it all down that you know it wasn't by might and it wasn't by power and it wasn't by your own authority and it wasn't by your own smarts but it was by my spirit saith the Lord Rachel just look unto me I've got the perfect timing I know what I'm doing You don't have enough Bible to back that up. Well, let me take you to John chapter 8. There's a woman found in the act of adultery. Jesus is teaching. And while he's teaching, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. While he's teaching, they find this woman and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And nobody wants to talk about how the church folk knew where to find her. Studies say that she was most probably a harlot. And no, nobody, nobody wants to talk about the fact that the so-called church folks knew exactly where she was. Nobody wants to talk, nobody wants to bring the man up there. It was her fault. My mama always said it takes two to tango. It was her. She did it. And they cast her at the feet of Jesus. And I've heard preachers preach that it had nothing to do with her because the Pharisees were just trying to catch Jesus uh, in a contradiction of the law. But honey, you let, me, you let me tell you right now, it had everything to do with her. I know they were trying to catch Jesus in a place to where he contradicted the law, but that wasn't what it was about. Jesus knew when he got up that morning, he came down off the mountain and he came to that temple because he knew he knew, he knew that they were going to bring her there and it didn't have anything to do with the law. It had everything to do with her. Oh. Nobody wants to talk about that she was most likely put into this position because she'd been thrown around, chewed up, spit out by the world. Place there because life had just dealt her a bad hand. And now she here, here she is. And she's wounded. I'm sure she's been drugged, kicking and screaming through town. She was caught in the act of adultery. We don't know. Maybe she just had nothing more than just a sheet wrapped around her. I know this is graphic, but it's the truth. It's, I mean, this is just... This is the setting that this is in. She's thrown down at Jesus. The one that everybody's been calling the Messiah. And she's ashamed. She's hurt. I can see her weeping tears. Hey, guy, you're so smart. Moses and the law says she's to be stoned. And he stoops down. 
The Bible says, I, I love the smart aleck side of Jesus. The Bible lets us know that he, 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 doesn't even really, he didn't even utter them a word. He stooped down and began to write like he didn't even hear them. They come in with their three-piece. Tie straight. Jesus, don't you know? And he ignores the ones that are supposed to have it all together. And stoops down and begins to write in the stand. What are you doing? Oh, you didn't know? I'm the author and the finisher. You're trying to end this book and I'm just trying to change chapters. <laughs> Come on, I, I'm reaching for somebody right now that the devil told you because of what's happened in your life that when you walked in today, the devil told you you might as well end it all. You might as well commit suicide. Overdose on the drugs uh, that you got in your purse. But I've come to tell you uh, that you came to the right place uh, where you can find help and hope. This isn't the end. Uh, it's just time to change chapters. Uh, look unto Jesus. Uh, look unto the master. Uh, look unto the savior. Uh, he can help you. <laughs> I don't know what it's like. I don't know if Rachel was living in heaven and looking over the realm of heaven. I don't know. I don't know if she got upset when Moses started writing the way he did. Do your homework. Go read it for yourself. But I can imagine if she could see when Jeremiah picked up the pen. Jeremiah understands tears. Jeremiah knows what it's like to go to the potter's house and stand there. And, and, and in modern technology, approximately 64 hours. That was, and that was with primitive stuff. The Bible says that he stands there. Again, approximately 64 hours, he watches this potter build. The Bible says that it was marred in his hand. And he's got a word from God. He's got to go down to the potter's house. And he made it again another vessel. This guy stood there approximately 130 hours before God ever speaks. Watching. Weeping. Because he knows God's getting ready to tell Israel. That they're going into judgment. He knows there's a word from God that's not good. Jeremiah gets tears. He understands what it's like to lay awake all night and cry. And I just wonder what it was like for Rachel when Jeremiah sat down at his desk. Before he ever put pen to paper, paper stained with big drops of tears. He begins to write. I heard a voice. Amen. Weeping. Lamentations. Rachel was weeping for her children, for they were not. And all of a sudden, if Rachel could see it, I don't, again, I don't know what it's like from heaven if you can see it, but she began to break. Finally! Somebody gets it. 
Listen, Rachel's own husband didn't even understand. The people that are the closest to you don't get it. I don't know what it was like. I don't know exactly how it happened. But in the moment of conception, she finally realized that this barrenness has abated. What it was like for Rachel. Finally, vindication comes. Can I tell you that God has the final say? Can I tell can I tell you today that you're, you're looking at people all around you? I know, I, I haven't preached to everybody. I get that, and, and, and I'm not trying to point anybody out, and I'm not trying to make you feel like, well, you're the only one here, but I, I'm trying to preach to you because I understand that if you don't find hope in Jesus, you're not going to find hope in anything else. And I, I'm reaching for you today to get you to understand that you got to look to him. Hurt by the church folk. Hey, listen, David, David's another guy. How, it just, it, it's not any fun to be misrepresented. It's not any fun to have people talk about you because let me tell you, if you live for God long enough, it's even going to happen in the church. David goes to Gath, gets locked up in jail. And you know why he's in Gath? Saul's trying to kill him. You know why Saul's trying to kill him? Because he's jealous. This is the guy that they should be parading through the streets. Can I just take my time today? They should have David on a chair carrying him through the streets. Saul should have him at the right hand of the throne. This guy killed the giant of Israel. But instead he gets jealous. He was his best friend, his best warrior. He was the only guy in the army that would go out and meet a giant. Now if I'd have been Saul, I'd have said, hey, whatever he wants, give it to him. Because we don't know how many more giants they got. No, that's not what Saul does. Saul takes him, runs him out of the kingdom. You think that didn't bother David? You, you think that didn't mess with his psyche? He's sitting in a prison cell in Gath. They're talking about cutting his head off outside the door. And the only thing he knows to do is act like a madman, like he's lost his mind. And there's a whole other message in that. I won't go there. But he's misrepresented. They, they should be putting my face on the front of newspapers. David says it like this. He begins to write. He says, Lord, you seest all my tears. Are they not in thine book? David's been misrepresented and talked about and all of this stuff. And when he begins to cry, he has the revelation that God saw every tear I cried. And the Jews, it was, it was Jewish tradition that when, when someone 
When you mourned over someone, you would catch the tears in a bottle. And, and when you came to the funeral, you didn't bring flowers, but you brought a tear bottle. And you would show, this is how much I've wept over you. And so, so David gets, it, it's, it's cultural, but at all the same times, it's spiritual. Because David understands that while I'm crying, God's got a tear bottle and he's walking around I'm going through my kitchen and God's following me back behind and I, I walk into the bedroom and I lay down at night and God gets up and under my pillow and he's got a tear bottle and every tear I cry he's catching because he knows what I'm going through this I know this is what David said this I know God is for me. I don't have to get it all right. Musicians come. I'm not going to preach much longer. I don't have to get it all right. But God's for me. I don't have to know all the right people. God is for me. Society can hate me. But as long as Jesus is for me, that's all that really matters. I want to tell you something. This is an incredible church. In my opinion, it's one of the best in Pentecost. I'm, I, I, I love your pastor. I love your first lady. I believe in them. But let me tell you something. I believe you'll agree with me. There's going to come a day. It doesn't matter what leadership program he's in, it's going to run out of stuff to deal with your situation. Pastor, what do we do? Let's just pray about it. I'm going to tell you all a secret. That's what us preachers say when we don't know what else to say. Let's just pray about it. There comes a point, Pastor Williams, where my education can't fix people. And there's going to come a time when I can sympathize with you, but I don't know where you are. I'm, I'm breaking all the rules of preachers today. I, I, I get it. I'm, I, I know we're supposed to act like we know it all and we got it all together, but there's going to come a time I can't fix you. But... We used to sing an old song that said, Jesus is the answer for the world today. If that's ever rung true, it's ringing true right now because I'm going to tell you, you're not going to find it in religion. You're not going to find it in a bottle. You're not going to find it in relationship. You're going to find it in Jesus. I'm closing. I'm done. Stand with me. Looking unto Jesus, the author. Pastor Williams, I've often wondered why so many times the Bible speaks in synonyms, but it's, it's, it doesn't happen here. Right of Hebrews is not speaking in synonyms. If you've ever wrote a book, I haven't, but if you've ever wrote a book, you know, Talk to anybody that reads books or writes books. They'll tell you that when you finish the book, 
The book's got to go to what they call a proofreader. The proofreader's job is to read the book slowly, painstakingly slow, sometimes two or three times. And what they're looking for, hear me, is the mistakes. And they'll take the mistakes and they'll highlight them. Oh, you thought we were just going to love on you. No, we'll, we'll highlight sin. We'll call out sin. Sin, sin. Let me tell you. If you die in your sin, you will be lost. But that's not the end of the job. So the proofreader highlights them and he gets on a computer goes back reads it through it again finds those highlighted places sometimes it's spelling sometimes it's punctuation fixes the mistake so the writer of Hebrews I can just see him I don't know who it was I, I tend to lean towards Paul but that's a theological debate and whoever it is sets at a desk long quill and he's writing to the Hebrews. Get, get this. This is the people of God. These are the people that lived under the law and have came out from under the law. And now they're, they're learning to live through the law of grace. They're learning to live with, with, with he's, Jesus said it like this. I came not to condemn but to fulfill the law. So he's writing to these people. He says he is the author. And I, I just, I wonder maybe sit down the pen for a moment and walked away and said, man, that's good. But something in his spirit kind of nudged him a little bit. Walks back, picks the pen back up. Dips it in the oil. Writes again. And the finisher. See, because that for people that, that got it all together, he's the author. But sometimes when you got the pen in your hand, you need a proofreader to fix it. So he says, I'm not just going to write your story. I'm going to fix your story. So I'll take a hood rat out of Colorado. I'm not just going to write a story. But I'm going to put the broken pieces back together. And I'm going to fix it. Maybe you're here, you're here today and you're a visitor. You know who that was? That was the pastor of this wonderful church. You don't believe God can fix it? You don't believe God can fix it? Look around you. This is all because God saw a man when he came to the altar and said, Pastor Williams, I don't just want to write your story, but I'll fix your story. He could be in prison right now. How many others in here? Come on. 
let, let me just let me help somebody today. If you've ever been addicted to drugs or alcohol, lift your hands in here. Come on, this, this is time to testify, not a time to be ashamed. Look around you. So you're, you're looking at the nice car that they drove up in and the nice suit that they're wearing. And what you don't know is all of that's because he's not just the author. He's the proofreader. God gets an eraser called the blood. <laughs> he gets an eraser called the blood and he starts covering it. Well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you something. For you to say that your, your mistake is so bad that the blood of Jesus can't handle it, it's like you're walking up to the cross and slapping him across the face and saying, it, it, your blood's not good enough for me. Because let me tell you what some of us are dealing in here, dealing with right now. We're, we're fine accepting that God has forgiven us, but we're still holding on to it. God says, I've forgiven you. The church has forgiven you, but you won't forgive yourself. And so you can't make any forward progress because you only know him as the author and not the finisher. I'm here to invite you today to be the man. You can't see him, but you can feel him. Maybe, maybe you've got it all together. Cause we're we're coming. Come to the altar. Come on, come on. As, 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 let, let's do it like this. Let's make this a family deal. Everybody that would come. Taken back. I told Pastor Young to uh, or Pastor uh, Williams today. It's preaching last time I started at the Rock Church. A Sunday kind of like this preached along these same lines and at this moment right here I looked and there was a young man looked like they had it all together I mean sharp family yeah I was kind of swole a little bit real cut blonde headed life looked like the picture perfect of what the world would say had it together Somewhere about right here, the Holy Ghost started dealing with them. Setting towards the back, and they saw everybody else moving, so they started moving, and when they got to the altar, they broke. They began to cry. Man's told the story multiple times, so I, and he's a very dear friend to me now, so I don't have a problem. I have his permission, as a matter of fact, to tell the story. Reason that came that day was their marriage was falling apart. Man had had an affair with another woman. And now she was expecting with his child. Wife said, we'll work it out. And you know what he said? I don't know how. Not because I don't love you. Not because I don't want to work it out. Not because I'm not sorry. But because we've tried every church in town. We've tried counseling. 
bought thousands of dollars of jewelry to say, I'm sorry. And their marriage was still crumbling. I'm here to tell you right now, at the Rock Church of Laurel, Mississippi, on the third row, that same man sitting there with his wife and his children and every other weekend, you know what they're doing? They're bringing that boy to church. And if he was here right now, he would tell you, the reason I was, my marriage was falling apart is because I was looking all the wrong places. <laughs> Hear me. So I'm a nobody. Yeah, he felt the same way. The rest of the story is two weeks later he gets baptized. And when he got baptized, over 70 people came to church to watch him get baptized. And that one, what society said was a failure, turned into a 160-soul revival. All I got to ask is who's next? Who's next? You could be the key to so many people. Me? You, you don't know where I came from. I don't care where you come from. All I'm caring about is where are you looking? Are you looking unto Jesus? Because if you're looking at him and you're leading people to him, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you've done, what you've done. Just come to Jesus. Come on, would you lift your hands all over this place from the front to the back, side to side. I need somebody right now to reach over and lay hands on your neighbor. Come on, wrap your arm around them. Let's pray together like a family. Come on. Come on, it doesn't matter how broken you are. God can put you back together again. Preacher, I messed up this morning. You're probably not the first one. You're probably not the only one. Come on, I messed up this week. You're not the only one. Don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus. Don't look at your failure. Look at Jesus. Don't look at your mistake. Look at the master. Come on, if you're a visitor here today, I don't want to embarrass you by any means, but I'm here to tell you right now, you came into a place today where we're not interested in what you have to offer. We're, we're interested in what we have to offer you. We, we're not just going to talk about coming to church. We're going to talk about a relationship with a God that can save your soul. Come on, it don't matter if you're 14, 40, or 80. God can heal you right now. God can help you right now. Come on, God can feel you right now. I'm just a bus kid. That's okay. God loves them. I'm poor. That's okay. God loves poor people. I'm rich. That's okay. God loves rich people. It don't matter what ethnic background you're from. God loves you. God cares about you. God wants to help you. 
I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. If you're praying, keep praying. But listen to me. What we're fixing to do is we're going to repent, okay? If you're here and you don't know how to get to that place, we're going to repent together. And, and say, well, preacher, I'm, you know, I've been to churches and they did this whole mass repentance stuff. I'm doing this because I don't know who you are and I don't know where you're setting. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll, if you'll repent with this church, we're going to repent together. The church is going to repent. It doesn't hurt everybody re to repent. Paul said, I die daily. We're going to repent together. And what that simply means is that we're going to ask God to forgive us for our sins. Uh, we're going to pray that he would wash us and cleanse us. And then we're going to turn from our evil ways. Uh, once we've done that, there's water here today. We can baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ because the plan of salvation is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins or the washing away of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so what I want you to do when we begin to repent is I want you to throw your hands up and after you get done repenting, you just begin to praise God and thank God for the gift of the Holy Ghost and it will be evident by the speaking of other language somebody around you will lay hands on you come on that's what's going to happen today let's repent together God come on lift your hands all over this house God I need you I can't do it on my own I'm a failure on my own I, I'm no good on my own but if you can forgive me if you can wash me if you can cleanse me I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to begin to live for you come on Come on now, you begin to praise God. You begin to thank Him for washing your sins away. Come on, forgiveness is inevitable. Come on, the Holy Ghost is here right now. The Holy Ghost is here right now to help you.
I know that I'm broken. 